Good afternoon, David. Pax Fobiscum. Good afternoon, Joe. Peace be with you also. Uh, thanks for that, David. Um, thanks you for that interpretation of the phrase Pax Fobiscum. And welcome to everybody that's listening today. This is our inaugural podcast of Pax Fobiscum or Peace Be With You. Now, that phrase has been used in Catholic Mass and in uh, prayer settings for many centuries, but this is not a Catholic-centric podcast. It's non-denominational, but certainly aspects of faith, but also of life experiences, education, um, are going to come together as my good friend uh, sitting across from me virtually throughout the, the, the ether um, we explore this concept of peace be with you. How can we find peace in our life by examining our lives, the lives of people around us, and coming to some sort of conclusion on, on paths, the best practices. So by way of introduction, my name is Joe Malloy, and uh, I'm sitting across, again, virtually from my good friend, David Gosser. Friends for over forty years, I believe, David. Uh, that's that's correct, Joe. We uh, uh, met when we were eleven, maybe twelve, at North Middle School. Um, and uh, if I may just augment a little, um, this is an introductory podcast, but we're going to explore topics uh, of all nature because finding peace. Uh, he encompasses one's entire life, relationships, uh, aspects, etc. Right. It, it's a, it's a it's a journey, right? It's, a it's journey, not right. And and you find these pockets of peace. I'm not saying that you that we can be at peace 100 percent of the time. That's sort of zen like. That's that's limited to the you know top tier of of woke people so to speak gandhi yes gandhi achieved it. jesus you know people like this right the rest of us are are mere uh travelers on the path but it is the the journey not the destination if you will you know exactly and so by way of introduction um i suggest that we introduce ourselves so that people know where we sit before they know where we stand um i love that phrase excellent so if you're amenable, um, I'll just give you a brief background on, on, on me. Um, yeah. I was born on welfare in the great state of New York in the late 60s um, to your basic Catholic family. Uh, my mother in the mid-70s decided to be a hippie light. So we got the VW minivan, sold all of our possessions, hashtag original van life to all you millennials out there, and promptly moved without plan for survival to one of the poorest places in the state of Colorado, the San Luis Valley. Uh, it's a dry lake bed, high desert, surrounded by beautiful mountains, but uh, pretty desolate. And, you know, it was forced into agriculture, you know, years ago by the Spanish conquistadors. So even though it's so dry, they do, uh, they do, uh, uh, you know, grow potatoes. potatoes. Yeah, they grow <laughs> potatoes there. I mean, that's that's their claim to fame. There's a few. There's a there's a college there, Adam State, but that's about it. So, you know, you can almost predict the path. You know, my parents got divorced. My dad had, you know, some some mental issues because he had had severe epilepsy. So 
you know, moving him up to uh, mile high plus elevation probably wasn't the best idea. But, you know, I understand my mother. She was one of those survivalists, follow your dream types. So we moved up to the Denver metro area, uh, specifically Aurora, um, Colorado. And that's where I met you in seventh grade at North Middle School. And I thought your family, you know, was, you know, fully, in, fully entrenched in the upper middle class um, <laughs> really that wasn't the case was it uh no no we we were grinding our way up uh you know the socioeconomic ladder um, when i was born uh a small and sickly child you know we definitely fried bologna and ate government cheese once i was uh once i was old enough to eat that sort of thing um, we moved a lot when I was a kid around Aurora. Uh, I was born in Denver and we moved to Aurora, uh, when I was quite young. Um, we had finally settled in the first home my parents ever bought about a year before I met you. And so we didn't, we were only a couple blocks apart, but you were in the newer section eight housing I was in uh, a home home, but, you know, I still had dirt roads in, in my neighborhood. At least your roads were paved, right? Oh, oh wow. Well, you let, let me go back a little bit. You cannot say you've been on the government cheese unless you've, you've used food stamps uh, that looked like uh, Monopoly money. So, well, uh, you'd that- have to ask my parents if that's how they acquired it. I don't know. I was a child, but I, <laughs> I know the big five-pound rectangular log of cheese and uh, white labeled American cheese. Yep. Yep. Almost like a Velveeta, but an uh, American. But it was yeah, good. No, but no, I've never, I've never been on TANF or WIC or, you know, unemployment, that kind of thing. Um, your, your situation was markedly different from mine, but it's a matter of perspective. You know, the grass is greener, as you've said, um, you the first time I visited you, you had in your room a bed, uh, and not no racing car or, or headboard or anything. You know, I was on the racing car bed. I never got <laughs> one. Um, but you had stacks of books. This is what was in your room: a bed and stacks of books. Oh, absolutely! I would uh, uh, read whatever I get my hands on. But you know, being a dreamy-eyed, isolated. Uh, geek kid, you know, science fiction, fantasy, uh, certainly uh, fed my soul. Um, I believe I started reading like Dune, uh, you know, probably when I was 12. Um, and so, you know, to our listeners, we're going to drop some $13 words. Absolutely. It's just part of, <laughs> it's part of our vernacular. It's part natural. It's, it's, it's natural, right? Um, yeah. You know, somebody yeah. created those words for, for very specific use. So, you know, get your, yeah, you know, get your th- th- star, th- 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 easy for me to say. Get your dictionary out. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll try to use a thesaurus to, uh, you know, hey, mix, mix things up. Um, people but, are here to learn something. Learn about peace. Maybe they'll learn a new word, you know? Absolutely. And that might lead to peace. Who knows? So, That's you right. know, we made our, through, made our way through, uh, as you said, North Middle School and Aurora there. You know, a, a diverse community. Yes, uh, we were bused from the from the east side 
uh, past Fitzsimmons Army Medical Base to North Middle School. I used to live in the North Middle School uh, adjacent neighborhood um, before moving over to that subsidized housing um, um, over on the east side where, where you lived. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really part of our shared background is that we met some really diverse people. We saw Hispanics, African-Americans, uh, Vietnamese. Um, indigenous people. Indigenous people. The horse uh, chiefs. The horse chiefs, that's correct. And we even had um, uh, that fa- the marshals. They, they uh-huh. had ancestry uh, from Australia and a- a- Aborigine. So yeah, yeah it was it was very diverse. And so correct. you know, with my I don't know background in fiction, <laughs> science fiction, fantasy, that to me was natural. And so when we went to Hinkley High School, uh, you know, over in Aurora, that sort of mixed community was still existent. Now it wasn't without its problems, but nothing like today. Um, did, you know, did you ahead. know? Uh, so I'm in Virginia now, um, here in Ohio. Uh, while I was here uh, I, for a time, I after I moved here in 2004, I would keep up with the Denver Post, and uh, it did an article about Hinckley as the most diverse high school in Colorado. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, uh, which. Uh, you know, this was 20 years after we were there, but it, it, that was true that entire time. And I think that really shaped us in terms of our interactions with uh, the rest of humanity. Exactly. And just being, just being aware and not even, you know, not jealous of them. I mean, you know, our home, homecoming king was routinely from... You know, uh, I, I hate the phrase mixed race because I don't believe in race, but right. from a, ri- you know. Well, race is a real thing, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, mixed race, yeah. I, we, we don't can, have to, we, do, we haven't said, hey, we're white guys yet, right? I think um, it's pretty obvious, you know. And, well, uh, it might be, but but you're right. Um, uh, you're right. Uh, guys with a, a a white mother and a black father uh, were some of the most popular guys, friends of ours, football, basketball, etc. Um, and they were good looking. Don't forget They were that. very good looking. They're twins. Um, so they kind of took turns. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it's true. totally true. But uh, uh, so Jeff married the girl that I went to homecoming with, Kendra, um, in freshman year a funny story we'll tell some time um and i i find it uh i'm always still bitter about this joe right (laughs) i was i was nominated for prom the prom court prom king our senior year uh but lost out to uh a friend of mine um bill goddard uh so uh, but Jeff Tasker was in the nominee group. So was Alan Trujillo. So we had two white guys, uh, a black guy and a Hispanic guy um, in our senior year prom court. And, and in um, a very natural way. I don't think we yeah, even yeah. thought it was, about it. We voted on it, the students. You know, we weren't, 
you know, and, and that's what we came up with. And, and um, I was shocked. I think, I think mine was a part, partially uh, a consequence of, of sympathy. Uh, as you know, um, Mark Mercer, a very close friend of mine and a friend of yours, mm-hmm. uh, died right before our senior year of high school, just weeks before. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss grief and death. Uh, in later topics, because they're they will unsettle your peace, right? They will strip you of your peace, and so uh, absolutely. And I really think it's part of both of our journeys. But it, it, yours is one of those uh, tales of sort of death near you, death adjacent, <laughs> where you had to somehow cope. And I want to know how you did that. We've never really discussed that over the years. And yeah. I have my reasons. Uh, you know, we'll get to this, the end of this introductory segment. We'll drop yeah. that. We'll drop that the cliff. Yeah, that cliffhanger uh, on, on the folks. The teaser, that's correct. So, you know, we had a pretty decent uh, high school uh, experience, really. I mean, yeah. you yes. know, I, yes. I, I did pretty well in, in, in football. I had a girlfriend that I was bound to marry. That was my, yep. you know, that's what heroes do, right? That's you right. find the love of your life and you go get married. Well, there's foreshadowing too. So, you know, I didn't have a clue though, because, you know, my, I was in a dystopia of a family life. Um, I had a, my mom remarried to a racist, uh, anti-intellectual man that you know, supported her notion that kids' children were a burden. Um, and, you know, he became her lapdog. And as soon as I graduated, they wanted rent. So uh, I spent a lot of time at your house. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for letting me uh, have access to your I, I beautiful mom. <laughs> against letting you in, but my mother insisted. So, <laughs> I doubt that. You know, I doubt that. And plus, <laughs> she. She would have, in her inimitable way, just gently said, no, uh, we have the space, we have the resources, you know, Joey, oh, as I was now, it was known then. I mean, you know, Joey, people yes. yes. You were Joey as a child, yep. Yeah, still people. You know, I'm so clueless and still today that Joey is probably, you know, pretty good. Joey, it's time for your nap type of thing. Um, so, <laughs> you know... I blundered my way through these very austere, they're very stereotypical uh, desires in life. You know, I'm going to do good at school. I'm going to be a good athlete. I'm going to find a girlfriend and I'm going to get married. And, you know, Which are all reasonable things to think, by the way. Yes. But not if you, if not if you're not, if you're in it, don't have any context for them. And I, and I didn't, it was all through, you know, the, the, I was all, you know, you were all research, vision, but you didn't have the substance. Yes, all theoretical, no practice. Right. And um, that's a dangerous way to live, um, quite yes. frankly. And that's why your mom was so important to me, because she did all these things for me without fawning over me. It was just very natural. It was an extension, I believe, of her own love, caring, affection, duty to her own children. And you can correct me if you're wrong there, but that's you the way. You are correct. So something in my brain was starting to stir saying, okay, that's what an adult does. <laughs> well, I blundered into, you know, my college, um, 
if, if a football coach from the Colorado School of Mines hadn't come to Hinkley and said, hey, you want to play football at Colorado School of Mines? And I said, what's that? And he said, well, it's one of the best small engineering schools in the West. And I said, Absolutely. hey, that's great. Um, and I had no clue. You know, I, I was in these. AP- yeah, we had no clue going into college because we didn't have any reference points. No, we didn't. Even though we were the elite, we the educational elite, we were in the advanced placement. I mean, we met in the Agate program. The gifted and talented experience. The That's right. Gifted and talented experience. So yes. I never knew if it's a gate like the rock or a agate. I think it's a gate. Uh, that's what I always called it. I don't know. I think agate is, is a better thing. But, well, you're, you know. you're now a geological engineer, and of course you want to call it agate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it, ground, <laughs> it grounds me, pun intended. But, you know, I got into that program simply through happenstance. I don't think I took a test. I think somebody notices, noticed me drawing Spider-Man in a textbook. Um, I, I, that was I'm my sure, thing. I'm sure that was part of it because you, you are a very talented artist. Um, you are too humble when it comes to your uh, other abilities. You have a remarkable mind. Um, I've witnessed it over the course of decades. Um, I'm certain I got in uh, based on uh, my IQ test, which I didn't realize I was taking at the time, but I gained access to my educational records by hook and by crook later in school and <laughs> um, and saw what my, uh, my number was, and it uh, it was substantial. I've always done well on standardized tests. It doesn't mean I've, you know, it hasn't done everything for me, you know. Um, your IQ and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee, you know, don't give right. shit. And so we'll, we're going to, we're going to cover that topic in, in a future podcast yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, is this a barrier to, for pe- to people, these tests, these, these ways that we're sort of organizing our, our, our youth and training them, educating them, pushing them in a certain direction. Is it a barrier to survival, which, you know, we both uh, agree that without survival, you're not going to know any sort of peace yeah. in, your, in your life. And, and it's interesting because uh, for two points on that, um, uh, I, I eventually attended law school um, with a very good standardized test score, but I wrote uh, a paper in a seminar on race, race and racism in American law in a narrative format that discussed uh, the use of the SATs uh, to enter college. And I now work for uh, educational testing services, which administers the SAT and the AP uh, mm-hmm. exams. Um, and so I know that side of it, but colleges are starting to drop the SAT as a requirement. And they have recently announced that the SAT will go online completely and only be two hours rather than three. <laughs> um, I guess I'm ambivalent because I don't know if I really studied. We we took the ACT because that's I was sort of a over on the ACT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's a tr- I'm sure that's a true story. It is. Um, you know, uh, me. I was just again uh, clueless. I, you know, I'm a big goofy guy, uh, stumbling through life, doing my best. Um, <laughs> so you know, I was not prepared to go to a great you know any engineering school, much less a great one. So. You know, when I went to CSM, which is Colorado School of Mines, 
not mines. I am not, I don't wear white gloves and, you know, have, you know, a, a beret and then and a, and a white face. Well, a you know, box around <laughs> yeah, the invisible box. So, you know, when I got there, um, I did well for maybe a semester. And then, you know, the buzzsaw of academics caught up with me. I ended up dropping out and becoming homeless. You college dropped out you. And I was, you know, Dave, I was arrogantly homeless. <laughs> well, and, and, and what, what I, that mean? <laughs> it means that when <laughs> I knew what I was doing, I knew that, Hey, I didn't, I didn't even know where I was going to go because by that time I was still in contact with you, but not in a place where, Hey, can I come live with you? Um, so I was homeless. I didn't have anywhere to go. So through well, some sort of my fr- parents had moved to, to Arizona by then. Oh, that's you right. You would have had a place to go. You would have had a place, but I didn't have any place to go anymore either, right? Except top of plane to Phoenix. <laughs> that, that's right. So I knew there was a reason I wasn't bumming off your family. So <laughs> you know, it was through a friend of a friend that I uh, that a Christian family basically took me into their home, you know, for six months um, until they, you know, they supported this quest of mine. I thought I was better than just getting a job at McDonald's. I thought that I had, you know, enough college behind me that, you know, I could enter the workforce. So they supported this completely selfish, clueless personal quest. And, you know, it paid off, ha, take that universe, but it was really due to their kindness, you know, but I tested for and won a full-time position as a technician in a government infectious animal disease laboratory. And let me tell you, to this day, that was probably my favorite job. You know, I could put on my vehicle, hashtag I heart infectious disease, but it, that's really the wrong time right now. But I'm certainly informed as to the, you know, the disease process in, in our world. So you know, obviously, the, you know, this is going to take us to a place of, you know, COVID or the flu or, or other pandemics and how they affect society. So I'm excited about that aspect, too. Um, so, you know, I don't what, what were you doing? You were finishing up your undergrad at that time, entering law school. Um, yeah. And then you actually, though. Oh, in the meantime, since I had this job, I decided to get married to my high school sweetheart. Hey, mission accomplished. Eh, almost immediately disastrous. We'll get to that in a minute. But you were finding your own love interest, I believe, once you entered into law school, which is a you know dangerous place. I, as I understand it, law school drains your brain. Law school kicks your ass that first year. They're trying to winnow the wheat from the chaff i think it's arguably uh the equivalent uh, or or surpasses any other single year's experience in graduate school it it calms down a lot second and third year because you know what the hell's going on but you're i mean you're eating you're carrying a full load you know uh 15 plus hours reading hundreds of pages for each class each week everything they think differently the terms are different you know uh i became a lawyer my profession gatekeeps very well 
Um, but yeah, I, I certainly had to get serious and couldn't just re rely on my native uh, intelligence, but I had taken a, a vow that I would not <laughs> pursue uh, any amorous relationships during my first year of school. And I didn't, uh, although there were wonderful women surrounding me. I can imagine. Beautiful and intelligent. Beautiful and intelligent. That's what we're looking for, man. And with, and with a future. And we found them. And we found them. But I found mine at uh, a wedding in Washington, D.C. First time I traveled east of the Mississippi uh, River. And I walked into a church for a rehearsal dinner. I was a groomsman. And there stood a vision of beauty. Love at first sight. Uh, my wife, Linda, now. Uh, she's wearing the cutest little red shoes and I just knew, I just knew I had to, I had a short amount of time and I had to put on the full court press and, and see what could happen. And lo and behold, she drove me to the airport less than 48 hours later, dropped me off. She was on her way back to, uh, uh, North Carolina. She had graduated from Duke and was in her master's program at Chapel Hill. Um, and when my parents picked me up, uh, from the airport, I told them on the drive back to, uh, I was living with them over the summer. Um, I told them on, on the drive back that I had met the woman I would marry. And they both thought I was absurd, you know, must've been drunk the whole time. Something, you know, that's a silly thing to say. How long could you have known this person? Right, uh, right. But I was correct. And we had a long distance relationship for a year uh, until she finished her master's. And then she came out from my, to Colorado and I did my third year of law school uh, fighting, fighting the urge of senioritis, uh, not fighting so hard the urges of love. Right. Uh, and it all turned out well. <laughs> I graduated. I passed the bar. I became a lawyer and I got married and had children. It's, it's, it's amazing. Right? It I didn't take such a direct course. Um, and let me tell you, listeners, uh, that's a true story. He keeps on repeating it. There's no DV from how he tells it, except for the fact that he almost always says that those, those, he, he gives the detail of shoes that they were for, you know, yeah. and that's so Linda. They were not they heels. Were, they were not heels. They weren't just the feminist. Vampy. Vampy shoes. And so I'm sure that's an important part of David's, you know, brain. This is, is a practical, practical person, but wearing red, right? So a little bit excited. The, uh, the red shirt shoes, who knew? And, and the, the thing was, Nebraska was our big uh, college football rival. We won the national championship at Colorado. I went to University of Colorado Boulder while I was there. And I was taught to abhor the color red. That's <laughs> true. I excised it from my... Uh, uh, wardrobe, and I got rid of my red Mustang and got a blue Camaro. Um, you know, the bitching Camaro, hand me down for my sister. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that, that detail it just struck me. I, she was beautiful, and then these shoes were just so—I don't know—it was just so cute. She's so cute. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. And yes, uh, yeah. those what was it, 1993 that the nineteen ninety. Don't bring up Cher. That's bullshit because Tom Osborne <laughs> voted against us in the coaches' poll to give uh, Georgia well. Tech 
uh, I'm sure uh, that we will share. use we will use the confusing landscape of modern college uh, Division One football as some sort of lesson to be learned on yeah. this journey journey for peace um, with the, with the new you know rules and the port transfer portal and everything like that. Oh God, yeah. really serious that all of these little social things that don't seem to uh, be connected with you know the philosophy of peace. They do. They do they affect are. us all. They are connected. Yes. So while you were doing that and you were sort yeah. of getting your life together, I recall that I was married and dealing with infectious diseases like an important person. <laughs> but not from your wife. Right? <laughs> no. You didn't get the flat. Uh, but, you know, we ultimately <laughs> realized we could not overcome our background. You know, I know now that being an adult and acting adult are different. You know, I've been so lucky to have adults even when I didn't understand they were mentoring me and you know, that's, that's what I regret. Um, It wasn't so much a regret when I got a divorce because both of us were uh, horrible. You you, you guys faced uh, some pretty tough circumstances that we're not going to dwell on, but uh, you know, suffice it to say um, you did the best you could. Absolutely. And, 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 and you found better peace by separating. Absolutely. And, you know, she moved on. I moved on. You know, I went back to engineering. The, the, the Colorado School of Mines did well, did change my major. So I didn't get, you know, you know, shocked by electrical. Yeah. Le- you know, yeah. Electrocuted. That's, that's pretty much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's where I, I took on uh, geotechnical, civil engineering, environmental engineering. I did great, but you know, they say that you don't start developing, your brain doesn't start, stop developing until you're 23 years old. So I was right around that age. So I'm wondering if it, if my brain just sort of, you know, went from jello into a slightly firmer kind of jello. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I was still in my 20s. Again, like you said, I was sort of button up. I did my, life experience schmoozing not in bars or with people but in jobs i was i was very curious about what this life had to offer i was easily bored with things i thought i I went into um uh the workplace and found things were so rote compared to my academic training um even my my son-in-law now, uh, my, my daughter recently got married again at a young age, but I have hope for them. But he came out with a cyber security degree and a lot of what he does now is, is rote, you know, and he tells me that. So it's really, we're, we're pushed through this academic machine and we're developed and we're intellectually ripped and muscular and we come out and there's really no, just, just do your job. Here's how we do it. Here's why we do it. Just sit there, shut up. <laughs> and I think, again, this, this is about finding. And so I went from career to career, all, you know, and sometimes at the same time. I mean, I tried to work with my evil stepfather in his concrete business, learned a lot, uh, loved the people I worked with uh, aside from him. Um, you know, I, I was an environmental engineer in, in air pollution. I then became an EMT. Uh, I ultimately ended up in utility safety and gas pipeline safety. Um, became a professional engineer. 
got a couple of grad degrees, uh, met my what my met my current wife. I hate that because I should have been married once. It's sort of a failure to me, but that's the way life is. Uh, you've got a wonderful wife. I do. Uh, I met her uh, on working on an ambulance in a, a community 911 agency. Um, we hit it off. We had similar backgrounds, really, surprisingly. Um, and, you know, she had a technical degree from college. I had a technical degree from college. So we decided, hey, we should really pay off our student loans. <laughs> and so sort of the rest is history. We, we got married. We had a couple of kids. Um, we both had careers. And then you can do a drum roll or this is where it drops. Da, 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 da. Five years ago, I got diagnosis of incurable cancer. So it is prostate. And yeah. And when people hear that, it's like, oh, it's prostate cancer. My uncle had that for 30 years. Well, I was 49, got it on my birthday, uh, had bone metastases throughout my body, found out that I had cancer by breaking my neck on a roller coaster with my daughter. Still That's why wanted... I don't ride roller coasters, so I don't get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the pattern. There you go. Point A, point B. It must be related somehow, right? And right. so, unfortunately, grim prognosis. Uh, you know, at the time, you know, medical statistics lag because information yeah. changes as you get more information. Treatments change. I've been the beneficiary of those. It's been a remarkable time, interesting time. Uh, again, you know, you know my interest in infectious diseases. Well, cancer isn't infectious, but you know, it's still part of that medical process of, of life that still fascinates me. And, you know, the prognosis five years ago was 3%. My wife, you know, a former paramedic was, was freaking out. Now, my data was, hey, we'll, we'll see where we are. And today it's way better. It's 30% five-year survival rate. So, you know, I'm going on, I'm unbelievably blessed. And that's part of this journey for me. And you have an equally um, yeah. dark and, and probably darker because, again, it's adjacent to you. It's something that you've had to absorb and endure. And I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but we're, I, it, yeah. it's, no, par no. it's part of this journey. You know, and that's, why we're, that's, why, that's why we're here today. You know, making this podcast is so that we can make some sort of sense out of this maybe joe uh you know that i'll always talk about it i uh, just spent a week at your house uh and we talked about a lot of things we always do that's why we're doing a podcast not writing a book we're both talented uh i think writers but uh it's hell of a lot easier just to talk to one another and we have these discussions for hours um i uh i wanted before i i tell my little uh, tale uh, just to comment on on uh, yours um, you were diagnosed in August of 2016 I believe that's correct I visited you uh, well I was there for the election of Donald Trump as our president I voted uh, by absentee ballot not for him um, but we watched it with a Muslim friend and when it went Trump, we told him to get the hell out of the country <laughs> uh, because, you know, things were about to get bad for guys like him. But I digress. Um, 
I was thinking about it. I was just thinking about it on the drive back from visiting you. Um, you and I have gotten together. You were in Colorado at that time when you were diagnosed. You just moved to Ohio. Correct. Um, we have visited each other. You've come to my house a couple times. Um, I came out and, and stayed with you a number of times. And, and, and I was living in Virginia at that time and still am. Um, but, you know, I think because of my experience and, and your witnessing my experience, we understood the value of time spent together and made and continue to make efforts to do that. Um, and that has led us to this podcast. Uh, but so my story, um, so I got married, uh, practicing law, uh, and, uh, my wife and I, um, had our first child, Thomas Allen Gosser, uh, born January 29th. Uh, 1999 uh, and my and my daughter was born um you know december 31st so same yep. year yeah uh, so sort of same age age same bracket yeah i mean would be 23 uh tomorrow we're recording this on the 28th of january actually happy birthday tommy and i said would be so that's a little uh spoiler alert um uh, we miscarried a child after Tommy, uh, and then thankfully we were blessed with my son, Mark, uh, September 22nd, 2002. Please don't steal identities, people. Somebody stole Tommy's at one point. I'll get to that. But um, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell that story at some point. So, uh, so again, my son was born in uh it's you know april of 2003 so yeah again so our children are very similar ages yes we, we were both a little older you know in our early 30s when we had children um so we moved to virginia in 2004 i was working as an assistant dean at cu boulder law school at the time but my wife had completed her phd and I stupidly found an announcement for a job for her <laughs> in Virginia. And I said, hey, why don't you apply? And uh, she did. And being my wife, uh, of course, she got the job. Of course. And that meant I had to leave my beloved Colorado, my, my heart still in Boulder, the beautiful home that we owned, the good job that I had to move across the country to the sweltering heat and rain and humidity of the South and all that goes with being in the South versus being in the West. And I'm not but, trying to judge, but they're very different places. True, but the history of where you live is amazing uh, to me. We'll Just talk about that. It's absolutely amazing. Piece, but, uh, so you true. really were really... Here in 2004. Yeah, right. It's you uh, you were in the moment of, you know, uh, you know, from the Simpsons TV show, Homer, you know, his job was, you know, at the bowling alley and uh, you had right. you you had to leave the bowling alley. Yeah, I did, although uh, although the law school was a little more than setting pins. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and so I moved here. I moved to Sporter. She had uh, supported me. I 
worked quite heavily in Colorado politics, uh, ran for office during the same time. But I decided, you know, it's Linda's shot. This was her trajectory. And, you know, I'd figure... I'd figure my own out. Uh, my, Absolutely. Uh, maybe it would be a, 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 maybe I could crack the door open to teaching myself. And, and that did happen. But the salient part of this story, mm-hmm. the nut, uh, we moved, Mark was less than two, Tommy was four mm-hmm. and turned five yet. No, he hadn't turned five. Uh, he started kindergarten. I stayed home that first year in Virginia with Mark, stayed home dad. We watched lots of blues clues and you know, did whatnot. <laughs> uh, but um, September 13th of 2006, uh, Tommy had started first grade. Um, Mark was not, was still too young preschool. Tommy was diagnosed with cancer uh, uh, on, on that day. I got the phone calls. I watched. I was now teaching at the university myself, and I was watching the uh, confirmation hearings for Chief Justice John Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the phone call from the doctor that said, we think your son has cancer you need to be in Washington, D.C. in two days. Unfortunately, my wife is from that area, and it's a three-hour drive. Um, but uh, he needs to go see the people at uh, Children's Hospital up in D.C. and the National Institute of Health, the National Cancer Institute. Um, he was seen by, they suspected, so, it was, they suspected it was Ewing's sarcoma. Okay. And they sent us to literally the top doctor in America for his initial biopsy and diagnosis. And Dr. Malware uh, confirmed that, told us that it was stage four metastatic. It was inoperable. um, And he couldn't perform any miracles for us, but we had an excellent children's hospital. Children's Hospital, the King's Daughter uh, in Norfolk, about 40 minute drive away, and to go home. And, and Tommy had a, a 20% chance of surviving for five years. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, the odd the odd circumstances um, surrounding sort of the bookend conditions you have to deal with, <laughs> you know, your son and now your friend. Uh, Ewing sarcoma, as I understand it, is it heavily involves the bones, correct? Bone, bones and connective tissues, that's correct. And it strikes about 200 children a year in America. It's a very rare cancer. It's a genetic cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have genetic therapies for it yet. And so it's not an inherited genetic thing. We first question I asked the doctor after I learned about Tommy's was, what's going to happen with Mark? And mm-hmm. they said, it's not... You know, you and your wife who did this, it's nature, translocated uh, 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 a gene on a chromosome. One gene's out of place, and that's all it takes for that cancer. The treatments are very crude. They hit him over the course of 15 months with a five-blend uh, five cocktail of the most heinous uh, 
well, to me, I'm sure you have your most heinous chemotherapy show. Uh, and radiation, as we talked about, radiation yeah. is the worst, right? It is. So I experienced cancer through my child. You're experiencing it firsthand. Um, Tommy did get to a point where there was no evidence of disease, um, but after being through all that chemo and radiation, it came back and they could not return to the standard therapies because one more dose of doxorubicin was going to shut down his heart. Um, And so in the next year, we pursued five different clinical trials in a desperate attempt to save, uh, you know, he was diagnosed when he was six. Um, he was eight, nine. We were going through these clinical trials. He had a 5% chance to survive another five years. And unfortunately, uh, he didn't. He died uh, nine years old on October 6th of 2008. And I have struggled mightily with his death to say the least right and yeah i think that you know as as we've discussed it um it's you know time moves on but but our heart doesn't because there's so much that is ingrained in those memories of that person that is going through this horrible disease process and let me tell you as as an adult cancer i'm not going to say victim uh, it it's truly childhood cancer victim. I think there's a fundamental difference between an adult getting any sort of disease and a child. And I think that we agree on yeah. that. And the innocence, we do. We do. the potential that is lost um, with that child is much different from an adult. He, the potential Tommy had, he missed, he went to kindergarten, he missed first grade. Second grade, he attended you know, three quarters of it, third grade, when he came back, he was placed in the gifted and talented experience tag. His initial was talented and gifted. Um, that was the program it was called. Uh, but I presume yeah. not for drawing Spider-Man in his book. No, 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 no. He, uh, in Virginia, they uh, administer the first standardized state-required tests in the third grade, and they cover... Uh, you know, math, science, etc. Um, and I have all of Tommy's medical records and I have his academic records too. Um, you know, these are things that I have now. I have memories and pictures and records and things. But um, he, there were 165 questions on the test. He only uh, missed three questions. Only he answered three incorrectly. Um, and and two of his friends out of that class went to Harvard. Uh, an incredibly smart little uh, cohort of kids. Um, and they've all graduated now and they're doing well. Um, still in contact with a lot of them. They're devoted to him. He had a remarkable spirit uh, and infectious way, a wise old soul, but, but an exuberant uh, personality. And, and these kids who have cancer are just so remarkable and brave and courageous. 
um, and and we need to do better by them. And and so I've directed my life since then in kind of that way. But the one thing you said was, you know, our our hearts, uh, uh, you know, have trouble moving along as we do. But for me, uh, my mind moved backwards. Mm. I. I, my my greatest asset, my mind became my uh, most fearsome enemy, um, and I have been diagnosed with multiple uh, mental illnesses that I am now, you know, been treating for over a decade with medicine and talk therapy. Uh, and you med- told me you told me once that. Uh... Somebody told you you were a highly functional, dysfunctional person. That yes, that was my uh, my doctor, <laughs> who, who I adore. She was also Tommy's doctor. Uh, yeah, because I spent seven years teaching college, uh, uh, teaching. Uh, I, I will young adults. I, yeah. I, I, I yeah, but I uh, I taught at three schools, and I I taught it. Um, what's considered to be a public Ivy league school while deep down in a dark hole uh, of depression and grief. And, um, uh, I stopped teaching, uh, well, cause I didn't get offered another contract. I was on year long contracts. I'm not a PhD. It's, it's a little different. Yeah, isn't it JD? What does that mean? It's it, it, Juris doctor. doctor. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, I, my wife has a PhD. Everyone calls her doctor. I have a Juris doctor. Nobody calls me doctor. But what, what I, do I, I get an Esquire. It's a sticky uh, question. I just, have, I just have a, a master's degree, right? And, and so to everybody yeah, yeah, listening. You, know, you everybody, come on, man. Get with the program. Move on. And everybody listening, you know, you intellectual elitists. And, you know, that's not the case uh, at all, I think. Um, uh, no, but, no. So, um, so, and and uh, just to, to, to finish, my wife, fortunately, uh, the job did work out for her. She was awarded tenure. Uh, is just a remarkable person. I can vouch uh, for best, that. The best person I know, um, and I, I admire and adore and and love her. And uh, you know, life hasn't always been a bowl of cherries, and you know, we have our struggles. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, thankfully that aspect of it at least worked out, you know, I, right. So, uh, you know, for that, I know it's difficult and that sort of sets the table for this podcast really, as we reach the end of this, this inaugural, um, discussion and that's what it is. Um, you know, it was five and a half years ago. So, and you came out to see me. Um, obviously I view you as an expert in the, you know, cancer grief process. And yeah. I, and I really do think that, you know, cancer is, is one of the dirtiest words that we have, but it really is a great icon, if you will, or, or, um, you know, proxy for through as people, because cancer is us. It's our yes. own bodies, our own bodies turning against us. They're co-opting 
they think those cancer cells, I can tell you, think they're doing the best. You know, yeah, my, my prostate said, Hey, I'm done being a, you know, a, a part of the male reproductive system. I'm going to go be a bone. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny. I mean, cancer basically is just some set of cells in your body deciding to grow out of control and thus interfere with the, uh, you know, be damaged and, and interfere with the rest of your body's ability to function properly. So it, it's really a story of how does, how do we as organisms, uh, as, you know, higher thinking organisms in quotes, you know, go down that line of living a life that is, healthy and I maybe health and peace we're, we're using that synonymously because we're going to crack this thing open based on because we don't have any more important tasks to do you know in middle age right now uh you and I Mr. Gossip than to yeah, explore I, these I, explore these things stay at home dad now right right um, so you got time to do this Joe and Dave do nothing no they're gonna talk <laughs> that, that was that was going to be that was the alternative uh, title to this podcast. You know, maybe it could be a parenthetical. Um, you know, otherwise known as AKA Joe and Dave do nothing. But again, you know, I appreciate this you know introductory talk with you. Um, and with you, and I hope that anybody listening to this knows where we're coming from. Um, it's a place of darkness of light of experience of intelligence of humor hopefully that that made it through today yeah um and then you know we're going to follow this with specific topics um it's not it's going to be free form but you know we do have a lot of experience in this world and we hope to share that with people and who knows where this will take us whether we have guests on uh that's for a future date but i really appreciate your time today david and i will sort of let you close with the uh, with some sort of benediction. Ah, well, I, I will do that, but I want you to uh, tell the parable that you told me when I visited you last week before I give the so-called benediction. <laughs> okay, it's good. Because I think it's perfect. It's well, perfect. It's, it's antithetical. So anybody who knows the the... The tale of the of the uh, of the cold little chick. So um, it was the middle of the winter at some undescribed time, and a chick emerges from the egg in a hen house, and he's not content there. Why should he be? But it's winter outside, so he goes out trying to find his fortune. I'm, I'm leaving this place. I'm going to find my fortune. Well, the, the reality was that the, the world was a very cold and bitter place. There was driving snow. And so he was cast about uh, in, in, the, in the barnyard. Um, and he, he, was, he was shivering. He was, he was nearing death. And he, suddenly he's aware of this large looming figure above him. And it's, it's a cow. And the cow... She, she leans in and she says, are you okay? Can I help you? And the little chick says, yes, I'm freezing to death. Can you please help me? And so the cow says, certainly I can help you. And so the cow turns and drops an enormous flop 
on the chick. You can imagine the chick is very surprised, but he's also very warm and protected from the, the driving snow. But hey, he's a, in a pile of cow flop. And so he starts cheaping. This is not what he signed up for. This is not fair in life. And that's when a fox happens by. He comes over. He says, excuse me, are you okay? Can I help you? And the chick says, yes, you can. I asked for, I was out here freezing cold. You know, my life was in danger. I asked for help from that cow. And she just turns around and she does something disgusting. Simply disgusting. And the, the fox says, well, do you want me to help you out of this problem? And the chick says, yes, please. I would really appreciate that. And so the fox picks up the chick, shakes off the cow dung, and eats him whole. And the moral of the story is, if you haven't heard this, that not everybody that shits on you is your enemy, and not everybody that gets you out of shit is your friend. So true. So true. And I had never heard that until last week. And I hope our audience uh, takes, takes that to heart. Um, as, we, as we seek peace and we look for its evidence uh, in myriad topics along the way, um, you got to keep that in mind as, as you're seeking peace. Um, Sometimes humor is... I think that it's about maintaining this two absurd ideas in your brain at the same time. I, I know you, you have such a wit and, and you're so funny. And I know that you use it to cope right now. And we used it to cope with Tommy's illness. Uh, absolutely. You've got to find some way to laugh, even in the darkest times when you face dire circumstances, laughter is good medicine, but, um, uh, Joe, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I hope that our listeners will come back and spread the word about Pax Vobiscum. Uh, in terms of benediction, I am on a new spiritual journey, as you know, Joe. Uh, yes. I, uh, I turned away from God and religion after Tommy's death, uh, but I uh, recently decided this is a way back into the light that I need to be in my life. So um, uh, I, I will simply uh, end uh, with uh, this. Uh, may we all find peace where we can, when we need it, in an amount that suffices us suffices to carry us through that journey that day um, I think we have an obligation to try and provide it to one another because we cannot go through this life alone and uh, if you can find God through any method any religion any means necessary you may find truth love and peace. And so, uh, Pax Voviscum, Joe. And peace be with you, brother. Thank you. I'll talk with you again next week.